0: Hey everybody, it's Greg. Welcome to the PGI Podcast, where we discuss an industry full of opportunity for people like you and me. In today's episode, we will discuss the power generation industry. At least, we will touch on the high points of the industry. Over time, we will dig deeper into specific aspects of the industry, but a deep dive would prove a bit too much for a single episode. Let's get started. In episode one, we spent the entire conversation sharing about PGI. In this episode, we will begin to discuss the power generation industry as a whole. In fact, the focus of this podcast is to reveal the industry and the opportunities the industry has to offer. However, we are PGI, and so there will be times, maybe many times, where we discuss our company and how we participate in helping others join, and thrive within the industry. The most difficult part of developing this episode was finding a place to start and then trying to determine what to leave out. There are so many roads to travel down to complete the tour through power generation. Needless to say, we will only scratch the surface. Throughout this podcast, our primary focus will be on standby power. But before we get there, what is power generation? For our purposes, I suppose the broadest, all-encompassing definition would go something like this. Any event resulting in the creation, harvesting, and distribution of electrical energy. Since that doesn't tell you much, let's take a more practical look. Electrical power generation is the production of electricity. That production could happen in many different ways, and in fact, it does happen in many ways. Possibly you are familiar with your local electric company, we refer to them as the utility, and have seen one or many of their facilities or substations in your community. That is one method of generating electric power, the most common, actually. In recent years, many windmills have been erected in strategic areas. Perhaps you have driven by or hiked below one and observed the blades rotating. This is another way to generate power. Tesla has become a household name in the last few years. Maybe you've heard of their battery wall. Some parts of the country have a resource that you and I know as the sun, which is a continual source of power available to you and me through the use of solar panels. Have you seen a solar panel farm? Yet another way to produce power is through hydro plants, water, or as we learned in elementary school, H2O. There are several of these facilities throughout the country. There are other methods of electrical power generation, but for our purposes, let's turn our attention to the standby power industry. Typically, standby power is produced by matching a reciprocating engine with a supersized magnet, also known as an alternator. For those not in the industry, think about your car or truck, where you would find this same type engine but it is coupled with a transmission. Together, the engine and the transmission produce the power you need to move down the road. In your car, you are producing power, but not electricity. Electrical power generation is accomplished by swapping the transmission for an alternator, along with a few other accessories. And we go from generating power to electrical power generation. For those in the industry, please forgive and disregard the oversimplification of my explanation of power generation. The industry is made up of a number of utility providers as well as a vast array of companies that design, manufacture, sell, distribute, install, and support the variety of components that go into the equipment utilized. The industry also houses the regulatory and educational arms necessary to keep everyone focused and measured in a similar manner. Some of the companies within the industry are huge. Have you heard of Caterpillar? Yes, that Caterpillar. The pride of Peoria. The leaders in heavy equipment, also manufacture generators. How about Cummins? The charm of Columbus. Indiana, that is. The guys that make those truck engines? Yeah, them too. They produce generators. And you've heard of Kohler, The plumbing folks the stars of sheboygan they've been in power since 1920. you may also have heard of a company known as generac the wizards of waukesha a dominant force in the residential market they too produce generators and these are but a few of the major players within our industry if you pause to imagine the size of these companies you can begin to imagine the wide range of career opportunities power generation offers. You might also drift into thoughts about the economic impact the industry provides as billions and billions of dollars move through participating companies each year. So why electrical power generation? Why does it matter? What's the need and the purpose? The answer to this has a broad range of meanings, depending on how you approach the topic. Let's touch on a few of the most popular answers. The most popular answer could be lifestyle or quality of life. Another top of mind response would be comfort or convenience. Another purpose is to satisfy the regulatory requirements. Then there are medical considerations, military operations, the telecommunication industry, the world wide web and data centers. A slightly more obscure and potentially debatable purpose is class distinction. Even with this abbreviated list, you can see the impact of electrical power generation on our everyday lives. But wait, let's regroup for a second. In thinking about every one of these purposes and applications, they already have electrical power, power generated and provided by the utility. Why discuss them? Why highlight them since they already have a solution? That's a completely accurate assessment, assuming the utility can provide power. But what happens when the power fails? A storm blows through, there's too much demand, or there's a mechanical failure, or whatever causes the lights to go out, then what? Standby power or a backup power system, that's what. The standby power system provides power when the electric company is unable or has too much demand. Again, for our purposes, a standby or backup power system consists of an on-site generator, a transfer switch, a fuel source, and a variety of accessories fully wired and integrated into the facility's electrical system. This equipment is standing by until called upon to step in and produce power. So, it sits there, relatively obscure, until suddenly there is a reason to perform. Another way to look at standby power is a support system to ensure power reliability. A redundant system so the building, the operation, the lights stay on and function as design. Thus the importance of having a backup power system, whether at your home, a government facility, the local manufacturing plant, cell tower, the hospital, really anywhere that electric power matters. Let's go back a bit and talk about some of the purposes we began to discuss earlier, starting with quality of life. Can you imagine a model where there is no electricity? You actually don't have to go back that far in our history to see what life is like without electricity, remember? You were at your grandparents' home, back on the farm. The farm where they had the lanterns on the table and where the wood cook stove prepared the meals really doesn't take that much imagination. Back to our lives, what would our day look like now with no power? Would you be dependent upon the sun to dictate the range of your day? How would you prepare your meals and store your food? I know, Grubhub. How would you get water from the well? What would happen when you flush the toilet? Actually, nothing would happen unless you brought water to the toilet and filled the tank. And then there's your shower. Where would your hot water come from? Well, there wouldn't be any. How would you heat and cool your home and that hair? How would you blow it dry and curl those locks? You see, it's not that we have to have electricity to live. We really only need it if we want to live well. Earlier, I mentioned regulatory requirements, and since that is a major driver of many power generation installations, let's go back and chat about that for a bit. As we explore this segment of our industry, you will find many local and regional variances to the topics presented, so some of our examples and experiences reported may not apply to your geographical region, but in most cases, you will find a similar regulation. As an example, many states require assisted living facilities or nursing homes to be equipped with a standby generator. Some communities even regulate the on-hand fuel supply to support the generator. Another common regulation is found in buildings with elevators. The requirement states that buildings with a predetermined number of floors are required to have a generator. The number of floors may vary by state or region, but the regulation is common in many areas. In these examples, can you see the value and the reasoning for a generator system? Other facilities requiring backup power are those performing medical services, such as surgeries. This can include outpatient facilities all the way through full-scale hospitals. In some installations, the performance of the standby system is also regulated, as well as the fuel source used to power the engine. You might even find that in some cases, the type and frequency of maintenance services are regulated. Other regulated facilities include government facilities such as fire stations, 911 call centers, water treatment facilities, courthouses, prisons, emergency shelters, and many more. If I haven't said it yet, let me now. This is only a tiny sampling of government installation examples. What about communication? How is the power generation industry intertwined with the nation's and your local communication infrastructure? Honestly, there are so many connections that we will only be scratching the surface once again. Hopefully, even this abbreviated look will inspire you to contemplate the magnitude of the industry's reach. Let's start with all of our devices, our cell phones, our tablets, our laptops, our computers. They all require power, either from electricity or a battery. And, if your device is dependent upon a battery to function, well, that battery has to be charged. And, as you've probably guessed, It has to be charged by some electrical source. Beyond this, each of your devices are supported by a provider – cell, internet, etc. – and each of these providers have facilities requiring power. Some of those facilities are very recognizable, like your cell phone company's retail store. What you don't see at your local store is all the support behind the scenes to make your network function. Much like your electric utility where you go to pay your bill and to have your power turned on, your device providers have offices too, but that is all they are—offices. The utility office does not produce or distribute electricity. Neither does your device provider produce the signal in the back offices of the showroom. That production and distribution is found at their support facilities, their substations, their cell towers their data centers, you will find that these facilities and many of the towers are supported by standby generator systems. Again, you might ask why, since every one of these facilities have electricity coming in by way of the local utility. The answer would be system reliability. Another way to say that might be the redundancy of a standby power system ensures their ability to deliver on their product or service. So, for the provider, customer satisfaction and financial security. Walk with me through an imaginary storm. Now, this could never happen. Uh, You know, even though we're imagining it, it it just could never happen. But let's say there was a severe snowstorm in Texas, for example, where much of the state is blanketed with snow and ice. Let's imagine in that storm that As a result, the power was knocked out for days, maybe weeks in some remote areas. If the provider of your devices was without utility power during the storm, how would you be able to play games? Or search the web? Or text? Or make calls? Even do your work? Let's imagine in our storm that production facilities had power, but the towers were without power. Then what? Answer miserable Texans. Cold and miserable Texans. And if everything is bigger in Texas, then really big, miserable, cold Texans. And more practically, life, normal life, that is, would be completely disrupted. But wait, what if, cue the music for the knight in shining armor? The facilities and the towers were equipped with a standby power system. Then what? Well, at least this portion of your life would have some sense of normalcy. Okay, since my imaginary storm could never happen, let's go back to the facts of our industry. What about all the data we create? Where is it, and how is it protected? Are you familiar with the term data center? If not, let me once again oversimplify them by telling you that is where your data goes, is stored, and is distributed by those who have access to it. It's a bit more complex than that, but for now, let's think of them this way. The really good news about data centers is they have power, lots of power and lots of redundancy. So lots of reliability and lots of uptime. Many years ago, the industry started using the term buying nines when discussing data centers. Buying nines refers to the strategic effort and investment to achieve power reliability at data centers allowing those data centers to provide their services in very difficult circumstances. Data centers spend an enormous amount of money on electrical system redundancy to ensure they can operate when utility power fails, and when their first backup option fails, and when the second backup option fails. Many of the data center facilities have redundant incoming electrical supply lines from the utility. They have multiple UPS systems to provide short-term power during a power outage, which are connected to a redundant set of generators, which supply long-term backup power. In most data centers, they are powered with two to four times the power they need to create reliability and redundancy. They take their electrical needs very seriously and all to process and support the data we create. Before moving on, I mentioned class distinction, so let's stop there for just a moment. It is not uncommon for wealth and poverty to be divided by the availability of reliable power as at least one metric. Along those lines, when you hear the term third world country, one of the defining differences in the underdeveloped countries is the absence of a reliable electrical production and distribution system. So, like many other topics, electricity and standby power drift beyond their utility value and into the social realm. At this point, I think you can begin to see the breadth and significance of the industry. So let's move from the broader topic into some specific companies that are engaged in electrical power generation. Just a warning, this conversation could go on for weeks as there are so many companies that make up our industry. Today's episode will merely identify a few So Apologies to those not mentioned and to those contributing companies that are not highlighted. Why don't we begin with your local electric utility? Are you familiar with Idaho Power Company? Have you heard of Pacific Gas and Electric? PG&E to most of us. They've been in the news across the country. Do any of you recognize New Jersey Gas and Electric? Are they your utility? Here's an interesting twist on names. Evergy. And what about Ambit Energy Electric Company? Do you know them? Here are a few more. Wait, blow your horn or text a coworker if you recognize any of these Tallapoosa River Electric, with lacucci River Electric Co op, Duke Energy, Central Maine Power, and Western Illinois Electrical. These are but a few of the companies across the U.S that we think of when we think of electric utility. Which company comes to mind for you? Say their name out loud. Not not yet, not yet, all together. Now, wow, did you hear that? Thousands of you all at once had the correct answer, yet no one duplicated anyone else's answer. Simply amazing. Another interesting thought is the coverage of these utilities. Some of the ones I mentioned and then some of the ones you called out huge, PG&E, Duke Energy, Commonwealth Edison, and Florida Power and Light. Others are very small, very concentrated on a specific community, like Wiflacoochee River Electric Co-op, Amigo Electric, West River Electric Association, North Arkansas Electric Co-op, and Toner Electric Company. However, at their basic function, they all do the same thing. They provide electricity for homes and businesses. That's the utilities group. And within this group are hundreds of other companies. Companies that make transformers, cables, poles, high voltage tools, service vehicles, software, personal protection equipment, and on and on and on. The standby power contributors are equally as voluminous and diverse. Let's touch on them a bit. We'll begin with the equipment manufacturers who actively design and produce the products that support our industry. Again, same disclaimer, this episode will identify but a few of the companies involved, with our goal being to stimulate your thoughts and interest about power generation and to highlight the magnitude of the industry and ultimately the related opportunities for each of us. Our focus for this segment of the conversation will be on the major suppliers within the industry. What then are the major products within the industry well there is an engine there is an alternator there is a fuel source there is some form of an enclosure either affixed to the generator or a building that houses the equipment there are batteries there are battery chargers there are controllers there are voltage regulators there are governors there are monitoring devices there are vibration control products There are engine heaters, there are lubricants, such as oil, water, coolant, there are mounting rails, there are transfer switches, and depending on how you define major, there are hundreds of other products. Starting with the engine, one thing you notice is the leaders in the power generation market offer their own line of engines, meaning they design, manufacture, and distribute generators centered around their very own engine. I'm thinking here of Cat, Cummins, and Kohler. In most cases, they were in the engine business before they moved into the electrical power generation. In other cases, the engines are purpose-built for the industry and the application. But beyond the big three, there are many more engine providers for our industry, such as John Deere, Volvo, Mitsubishi, Toyota, Kubota, PSI, Isuzu, and many more. These companies build engines for farm equipment, trucks, boats, passenger cars, lawn equipment, and many other applications. For our purposes, they build engines that serve the core of our industry. In addition to those, there's another group that build very specialized engines, such as Mann, Waukesha, Yenbacher, and more. Some of these manufacturers have designed engines specifically for the industry, and in other cases, they have customized their engine offering to fit our industry requirements. Coupled to the engine is that magnet we talked about, better known as the alternator. In this product line, there are fewer manufacturers, each offering unique qualities with their products. Companies like Marathon or McAlty, Leroy Summer, Newage, and Gillette. Each of these companies design, manufacturer, and distribute alternators specific to the requirements of the industry. Each of these companies produce products specifically targeting the nucleus of the standby power industry. You may find these companies to be privately held or a complementary company owned by one of the engine manufacturers. In any case, they work with the engine provider to match the alternator to ensure the desired performance of the genset, across a wide variety of KW ranges and performance specs. Another highly recognizable product within the industry are transfer switches, more commonly known as automatic transfer switches or ATSs. I like to say the ATS is the brains of the system, as it often controls the utility to generator back to the utility performance functions. The engine and alternator, on the other hand, provide the muscle or the brawn in the relationship. As you might imagine, there are numerous manufacturers of these products as well. A few recognizable names include Asco, Eaton, Lakeshore, Thompson Technology, and there are others. You will also find that some of the engine manufacturers build their own ATS product line. Cummins and Kohler, for example. There are also ats specialty houses like power secure and intercon who build more custom design products by now you are able to see there are many products and many companies that make up and support the power generation industry we'll touch on two more key products then reference a number of other manufacturers and suppliers within the industry the first of these two products are control panels the role of the control panel is to control the operational marriage of the engine and the alternator allowing the duo to produce the desired performance results the control panel also tracks and reports that performance in real time part of its control authority allows the panel to send warning signals or alarms when a performance standard is breached and if not corrected the control panel is authorized to shut the system down which elevates the urgency of the failure and prevents further damage to the system's major components. Sounds pretty critical, right? It certainly is. Once again, you'll find the big three engine companies build their own control panel. In addition to them are companies like Basler and Deep Sea and Panelsource, just, just as examples. These three companies and others like them build more of a brand neutral product meaning they can work in most applications regardless of the engine or alternator. The final product type for us to touch on is tanks and enclosures. We mentioned earlier the fuel source as a key component to the package. The engines we use are typically fueled by LP gas, natural gas, or diesel fuel. In the case of natural gas, the fuel is supplied through a utility pipeline and plumbed to the generator. No tank is required, merely plumbing parts and regulators to control the fuel flow, the volume and the pressure. In the case of the LP tank, there are a number of manufacturers who produce tanks for a variety of applications. For the generator, we simply purchase one of those standard tanks and couple it to the generator through a series of plumbing fittings and regulators, very similar to the natural gas configuration. but. For the diesel application, a tank designed for the package is required. In many cases, the generator utilizes the tank as the base for the package. In other cases, the tank is a standalone item that is then plumbed to the genset. There are companies that build either or both of these tank options. Companies like Global Power Products, Fidelity Manufacturing, Tremont, Comfab, Freeman, and a slew of others. These companies often provide custom-built products as well as standard tanks for genset manufacturers' stock product offerings. Their products are built to their design, but governed by industry specifications and regulatory requirements, regulators like UL, for example. Tanks are measured in number of gallons or in the number of runtime hours. Many of these same companies that I mentioned, the Tremonts, the Fidelities, the uh, ComFabs, also manufacture and supply enclosures for the Genset package. These enclosures can simply be a weatherproof cover all the way through an electrically and sound sophisticated package. It all depends on the project, the specification, and the intended use of the equipment. As in other product cases, some of the engine manufacturers build their own tank and enclosures for their standard generator offerings. There you have an abbreviated run-through of some of the manufacturers and their related products that make up our industry. It only took 12 pages and 4,000 words to make that oversimplified introduction. Once these manufacturers design and produce their products, What happens to them? How do they find their way into the marketplace? Simply stated, they get sold and installed at a customer's location. As we explore the companies behind the selling and installation process, you will once again see opportunity coming at you from everywhere. Let's look at who sells them. There are a couple of typical paths of distribution. A direct-to-market strategy and a distribution network. In the direct-to-market strategy, the manufacturer is selling their product direct to the end-user or installers. You see this most often in a national account strategy, or some government or military sales, and in some other special circumstances. Generac, as a company, has mastered the art of selling their residential and light commercial product direct to the marketplace. Other than Generac's direct-to-market model, These sales do not make up a significant percentage of product sales. Most products are sold through a distributor, who is a partner affiliated with the manufacturer, approved to sell and support their products in a specific region. As the name implies, the distributor distributes product into the marketplace. We'll explore the distribution model more thoroughly in just a moment, but before that, let's look at the dealer's role in the distribution effort. In many cases, the dealer is an extension of the distributor and are one of the outlets distributors utilize to sell product into the market. The dealer community often offers a variety of services not typically found at the distributor level. These are frequently referred to as value-added services. These might include delivery, installation, specialized testing, fuel delivery, customer equipment storage, permitting, and many other services related to equipment and project management. Oftentimes, dealers also enjoy relationships with their customers that allow them sales opportunities not available to the distributor. The dealers are often very entrenched into their community and are very much a part of the local landscape. So again, the dealer is an extension of the distributor and can be a great complement to the distributor's efforts. Before moving on, let me clarify the titles dealer and distributor. Most manufacturers have a contractual relationship with a group of companies who are strategically located geographically to sell and service the manufactured products. These companies are commonly referred to as distributors. These distributors seek out and align themselves with a group of companies who aid them in their effort to sell the products the distributor represents. However, there are a couple of notable exceptions. Caterpillar refers to their distribution partners as dealers. So, a CAT dealer is synonymous with a Cummins, Kohler, Blue Star, or Taylor distributor. You might recall I mentioned Generac a little earlier. They distribute their industrial products through a traditional distributor model. However, they sell their residential and light commercial direct to market to homeowners, dealers, contractors, and installers. Much like Generac, Kohler has recently announced a direct-to-market strategy, where they intend to sell their residential products direct-to-market through dealers, wholesalers, and by way of e-commerce. With that clarified, let's work our way back to the distributor and discuss how products are sold. We have established that manufacturers sell their products through distributors. From there, products are introduced through two primary sources, the bid and spec market and the private market. The private market is not as exclusive as it sounds. It simply means the owner purchases the equipment from the supplier of their choosing rather than go through a public bid process. As mentioned previously, it is not uncommon for the dealer to have relationships that drive a lot of private sales. The bid and spec market support those customers who desire to buy the products at the lowest bid, utilizing a project design and set of specifications to make all of the products offered equal, at least in theory. In both cases, the project is designed by someone. The designer could be an architect, a design engineer, a contractor, or even a dealer. This design then gives birth to a set of specifications sometimes formally developed, and sometimes a derivative of the manufacturer's spec sheet. These specifications are then used to price the products, materials, and labor required to deliver the project. To execute these sales, the distributor or dealer employs a team of people. Some of these team members include salespeople, both inside and outside sales, engineers, project managers, startup technicians, sales support personnel, and many more configurations. This team of people work with the installing contractor to understand the project and interpret the specification. They then develop an equipment solution that best matches the customer's expectation and design desires. When the customer is satisfied with the project design, the related pricing, and the timeline of delivery, the project is awarded to the supplier of their choosing. That supplier, dealer, or distributor works with the related contractors to execute the project completion. That leads us into the installation, which typically involves at least a mechanical and electrical contractor. The distributor is typically selling the specified equipment to the electrical contractor, whom we call the EC. The EC is their customer and represents the project owner or general contractor, who we call the GC. Typically, the EC takes on the role of customer liaison and project manager, again, sometimes under the direction of the GC. The EC provides the project interface between the customer, the distributor, and the other contractors required to complete the project. The EC and other contractors deliver, set, and install the equipment in accordance with the project plans. When the installation is complete, the distributor is brought back into the project to commission the equipment and installation. This commissioning process includes verifying the installation meets performance and code requirements, as well as startup and testing of the equipment provided. The startup and testing ensures the equipment is operating within the parameters of the manufacturer's design. The startup serves a few more purposes as well. One is to register the equipment with the manufacturer, validating the installation and initiating the equipment's warranty coverage. It also serves as an opportunity for the distributor to provide the owner's personnel training on the operation and function of the equipment. At this point, the equipment and the completed project are turned over to the owner. One more thought there. It's common for the selling distributor to try and engage the customer in a long-term maintenance relationship at this point. While this is a profit center for most dealers or distributors, for the owner of the equipment, maintenance is an important strategy in developing a long-lasting and reliable power system with predictable cost. Most manufacturers require the maintenance and warranty be performed by approved, trained, and certified technicians. Speaking of Certified Technicians, that is where we will leave the episode today. Our next episode, where we will discuss industry opportunities, we will begin right at this point discussing these very same technicians. One final thought on today's episode, while a lot of information was shared and specific companies were spoken about, this episode barely begins to reveal the industry's reach. We could talk about the industry and the related companies for hours and hours and hours, and we will, just not today. But for now, for those who are entrenched in the industry, apologies for the oversimplification, and apologies for those companies that were left out. It is not intentional, however necessary. As mentioned, our next episode will focus on some, actually many opportunities within the industry with a specific focus on field service technicians. After that, we move immediately into our interview format and we have some really good ones arranged for you. This is where we get a 360 degree view of the industry, the variety of career options and real life stories from industry professionals describing their journey from somewhere into power generation. In the meantime, do me a favor, please. Share the podcast with others. In fact, invite someone to listen with you. Join me in spreading the good the industry has to offer. That's all for today. And as always, thanks for joining me to discuss our industry and the immense opportunities available to each of us. And until we meet again, may God be with you and bless you. May you see your children and your children's children. May you be poor in misfortune and rich in blessings. May you know nothing but love and happiness from this day forward. For more information, please join us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and on our website at www.powergenerationinstitute.com. You can also reach me at gregl at powergenerationinstitute.com.